Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. I'm undergoing self-isolation. It's the only way to be. Just for the lack of stimulation. So come self-isolate with me. Hot, hot, hot.
I know the feeling. I certainly do. This is the time of year when it gets so hot that you're ready to be cold again. Not me, but, you know, maybe you. Hi, f- me, I'm not you. I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, almost as if it were planned this way, news of the warm. Not of the hot, but of the warm. Soft, listen to the warm. Here's your warm right here. The Greenland and Antarctic ice sheets, which hold enough frozen water to lift oceans 213 feet. That's high tide. Are tracking the UN's worst case scenarios for sea level rise. That's what researchers said this week. According to Agence France Press, this highlights flaws in current climate change models because the worst case is now the case. Mass loss from 2007 to 2017 due to meltwater and crumbling ice. Remember that Rolling Stones song? Aligned almost perfectly with the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change's most extreme forecasts, which see the two ice sheets adding up to nearly 16 inches to global oceans by 2100. That's what they reported in Nature Climate Change. I wonder what that's about. Such an increase would have a devastating impact worldwide, increasing the destructive power of storm surges and exposing coastal regions home to hundreds of millions of people to repeated and severe floodings. That's nearly three times more than the mid-range projections from the IPCC's last major assessment report way back six years ago. That predicted a 2.3-foot rise in sea level from all sources, including your mountain glaciers and your expansion of ocean water as it warms, which it does. Despite this clear mismatch between the observed reality of accelerating ice sheet disintegration and the models tracking those trends, a special IPCC report last year on the planet's frozen regions maintained the same end-of-century projections for Greenland, allowed for only a small increase from Antarctica under the highest greenhouse gas gas emission scenario. We need to come up with a new worst-case scenario for the ice sheets because they're already melting at a rate in line with our current one, says Thomas Slater, lead author of this study. Sea level projections are critical in helping governments plan climate policy, mitigation, and adaptation strategies. If we underestimate future sea level rise, these measures may be inadequate and leave coastal communities vulnerable, like they aren't. Ice sheet losses at the upper end of the IPCC forecast would by itself, by themselves, <laughs> it's Ajans for us, for us, what do you want, would expose some 50 million people to annual coastal flooding worldwide by mid-century, according to research published last year. Total sea level rise but of at least 39 inches would likely require spending upward of $70 billion a year in seawalls and other defenses against flooding. I think the Army Corps of Engineers has that on them, right? Or, or they're asking for it. Climate scientists have found that the Bering Sea experienced lower winter sea ice coverage in 2018 than at any other point in the last 5,500 years. But who remembers? In light of the increased amount of concentration of CO2 that's been building up in the atmosphere over the decades, it would be expected that the warming would have an impact on the ice extent, said the lead author of the study, Miriam Jones, and we have now shown it has. Bering Sea, you know where it is, portion of the northern Pacific, between Eurasia and North America, 
It allows Sarah Palin to see Russia. It accumulates ice over the winter before it all melts by summertime. It's summertime soon. Scientists... <laughs> don't know where that... Yes, I do. Scientists believe the Bering Sea's winter ice coverage to be relatively stable compared to the mess in the nearby Arctic Ocean, which has uh, had its summer sea ice diminish with the rise of greenhouse gas emissions in recent de- uh, decades. Findings published this week in the journal Science Advances turns this notion... On his head. It's on his head. Jones' team collected a core of peat cellulose. Remember him? He played for the Dodgers. That contained plant matter dating as back as 5,500 years ago. And that was determined by radiocarbon dating methods, not the ones I used when I was a kid, from the remote St. Matthew Island, located in the Bering Sea between Alaska and Russia. Peat accumulates anywhere where the ground remains saturated. It's a type of wetlands. As the plants that are living on the surface die. They don't fully decompose, so you still have a record of those plants, and they accumulate vertically through time, she explained. What we did is look at the cellulose from those plant remains. The cellulose has oxygen in it, and the source of that oxygen is water. The source of the water in the peatlands ultimately we found to be precipitation-sourced. We were able to make this extrapolation about what the atmospheric conditions were doing over that period based on the peat Oxygen isotopes. So that's what she did, and that's how she did it. And also from... <laughs> unlike normal lakes, glacier lakes are unstable because they're often dammed by ice. I know that feeling. Or sediment composed of loose rock and debris. The volume of lakes formed as glaciers worldwide melt due to climate change has jumped by 50% in 30 years. That's a jump. If lakes could jump, that's how high they jump. That's according to a new study based on satellite data. We've known that not all meltwater is making it into the oceans immediately, said the lead author, Dan Shugar, at the University of Calgary. Until now, there were no data to estimate how much was being stored in lakes or groundwater. That is, not getting to the ocean yet. Findings published in Nature Climate Change will help scientists and governments identify potential hazards to communities downstream these often unstable lakes, he said. They're unstable, very unstable genius lakes. They will also improve the accuracy of sea level rise estimates through better understanding of how and how quickly water shed by glaciers makes it to the sea. Between 1994 and 2017, the world's glaciers shed about 6.5 trillion tons of mass. That's a big shed. In the past 100 years, 35% of global sea level rises came from glacier melting, said climate scientist Anders Leverman at the Potsdam Institute for Climate Change Impact. The other main sources of sea level rise are ice sheets. You don't want to be sleeping in those. And the expansion of ocean water as it warms. Earth's average surface temperature has risen 1 degree Celsius since pre-industrial times. High mountain regions around the world have warmed at twice that pace, and that's what accelerates the melting of the glaciers. Glacier lakes are unstable because they're often dammed by ice or sediment, mentioned earlier. When accumulating water bursts through these momentary barriers, massive flooding can occur downstream. This kind of flooding has been responsible for thousands of deaths in the last century, as well as the destruction of villages, infrastructure, and livestock, according to the study in Nature Climate Change. So don't be don't be making uh, dates with people to go 
kayaking on a glacier lake. Ladies and gentlemen, that's good advice from the good hands people right here at... This is Le Show, and now... News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Eversall, Jr., While the Los Angeles 2020 Olympic Games might feel like eons away, the City of Angels Olympic and Paralympic Committee this week unveiled its official logo, a dynamic, constantly morphing emblem that seeks to reflect the creativity and diversity of Los Angeles through the perspectives of Olympians like Allison Felix and Chloe Kim, as well as artists including Billie Eilish and Stephen Harrington. Unlike Olympic logos of the past, the L.A. symbol is ever-shifting, much like so many people I know in Los Angeles. It consists of four key elements, the letters L and A for Los Angeles, the numerals 28, representing the year of the games, and the rings. This is from Ad Age. While the L and the 28 remain constant, the A changes throughout, representing the personalities and styles of various L.A.-based creators. Oh, Harrington is an artist. Sorry about that. Actor and producer Reese Witherspoon also contributed. We're in a very unique position in that we have an eight-year runway, says Amy Gleason, chief marketing officer of LA28, because the Olympic Committee gave the 28 games to LA at the same time they awarded the 24 games to Paris. The LA2028 logo was created for the digital age. We knew our emblem would have to be reflective of the spirit LA, of L.A., but also look to the future, Gleason says. How do we keep something fresh and allow us to stay connected to people as we look to the horizon, she asks. They've been working with multiple creative partners, including Works Collective, Stink Studios, Media Monks, Cashmere Agency, and Giant Spoon. <laughs> well, there's the creativity right there. Gleason says the team selected its final partners based on their experience with its main target audience, Gen Z and Millennials, who represent the game's demographic sweet spot. Meaning the games they've promised the audience they've promised to deliver to advertisers. So the rest of us are off the hook. While our target is anyone who defines themselves as Olympic fans, we also wanted to foster a deeper connection with the audience who will be in their twenties and thirties when the games happen, Gleason says. She adds, there's a lot happening right now, and we felt it was important to be part of the conversation and the solution. We have a global platform to bring to life who we are and what we stand for as being an anti-racist organization. So give us more money, please. Dateline Tokyo, the Tokyo Olympics, are already the most expensive summer games on record. Costs set to go higher, says a wide-ranging study from Oxford University. The Tokyo cost overrun already exceeds 200%, said the lead author. This is even before several billion more dollars are added on from the one-year delay. This uh, study, the lead author is Brent Flivbjerg. He is um, an economist at Oxford's Said Business School. Tokyo is only a small part of the study. It all looks at Olympic costs since 1960, finds they keep increasing despite claims by the IOC that costs are being cut. The vast majority of the costs picked up by governments. The IOC contributes only a small portion. The Olympics offer the highest level of risk a city can take on, Fledjurg told AP. The trend cannot continue. 
No city will want to do this because it's just too expensive, putting themselves into a debt that most cities cannot afford. Except, hey man, it's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. He um, got to continue a little bit more about this. Unfortunately, Olympic officials and hosts often misinform about the costs and cost overruns of the Games. We therefore cannot count on organizers, the IOC, and governments to provide us with reliable information about the real costs, cost overruns, and cost risks of the Olympic Games. He looks only at costs to actually operate the Games and the cost to build sports venues. He leaves out... A third category, which is usually many times larger, renovating roads, building airports, and what he calls sprucing up projects. That would also include moving out all the homeless to some other place where they can be homeless. He also excludes the cost of debt and the future cost of running sports venues, or not, after the Olympics leave. Tokyo's spending is at $15.8 billion, already more than the London Games, the most expensive to date. He says there'll be several more billion because of the delay in Tokyo. Tokyo said the cost would be 7.3 when it won the bid in 2013. It's already way past 12. He's been in touch with the IOC. He said a major reason for the rising costs is that the IOC doesn't pay for them. He uh, says the moving the games around the world becomes the eternal beginner syndrome. New, new host cities have to start basically from scratch every time. They, the IOC, define the specs but don't pay for them, Flavberg said. This is pretty similar to you and me giving the specs for a house that somebody else is going to, that we are going to live in, but we don't have to pay for it. How do you think we'd spend? We'd gold-plate it. Well, one of the rings is, one of the medals is, all right, then. Now some news from the land of 15,000 princes, our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. The British newspaper The Telegraph reports that Saudi Arabia, one of the wealthiest countries on earth, is keeping hundreds, if not thousands, of African migrants locked in heinous conditions reminiscent of Libya's slave camps. This as a part of a drive to stop the spread of COVID-19. Graphic Cell phone images sent to the newspaper by migrants held inside the detention center so dozens of emaciated men, crippled by the Arabian heat, lying shirtless in tightly packed rows in small rooms with barred windows. That'll keep them from getting the COVID. One photo shows what appears to be a corpse swathed in a purple and white blanket in their midst. They say it's the body of a migrant who died of heat stroke. Others are barely getting enough food and water to survive. Another image too graphic to publish shows a young African man hanged from a window grate in an internal lined wall. The adolescent killed himself after losing hope, say his friends. Many of them have been detained since April. The migrants, several displaying scars on their backs, say they are beaten by guards who hurl racial abuse at them. It's hell in here. We are treated like animals and beaten every day, says one of the Ethiopians who's been held at the center for more than four months. My only crime is leaving my country in search of a better life, but they beat us with whips and electric cords as if we were murderers, he says. 
The images and testimony have sparked outrage among human rights advocates. The squalid detention centers in southern Saudi Arabia fall well short of international standards. For a wealthy country like Saudi Arabia, there's no excuse for holding migrants in such deplorable conditions, says the Deputy Director of Human Rights Watch in the Middle East. Oil-rich Saudi Arabia has long utilized, some would say exploited, utilized, nice neutral word, migrant labor from Africa and Asia. Uh, About a year ago, in June, an estimated 6.6 million foreign workers made up about 20% of the country's population, most doing low-paid and often physically arduous jobs. Doesn't this sound familiar? No wonder we have. No wonder we like these people. The immigrants, or the migrants, actually, work mainly in construction and manual domestic roles that Saudi nationals prefer not to do themselves. The detention centers identified by the Telegraph house mainly Ethiopian men. There are said to be others packed with women. (laughs) Over the last decade, tens of thousands of young Ethiopians have made their way to the Gulf state, often aided by Saudi recruitment agents in a bid to escape poverty back home. They've been trapped partly as a result of the pandemic and partly by the Saudization of the kingdom's workforce, a policy introduced by Mohammed bin Salman. He's the King Salman. No, he's the crown prince who took power three years ago. And they should be lucky there isn't a bone saw in there with them. That's what he says. No, that's what I say, he says. Meanwhile, Ethiopia's government says it is thankful for Saudi Arabia accepting Ethiopian migrants entering the country. It's barely commenting on the squalid conditions they face in Saudi detention centers. This, according to the Associated Press. That uh, statement of of gratitude is Ethiopia's first public comment after the report of the uh, nasty treatment in Saudi detention centers. In response to the uh, report from the Telegraph, Saudi Arabia says it's looking into the facilities. They leave out the the adjective that uh, Donald Trump always uses in such circumstances. uh, Looking into it strongly. You notice that? I think that's his favorite adverb. Looking into it strongly. The uh, Saudi statement says the Ethiopian authorities, sadly, have refused the migrants' reentry under the claim of not being able to provide adequate quarantine facilities upon their arrival. Ethiopia says it has never refused to receive its citizens from any country and has repatriated more than 400,000 citizens from Saudi Arabia between May 2017 and May of this year. That slowed, understandably perhaps, with the epidemic. Meanwhile, it's established five new border checkpoints to slow the outward flow of migrants. You got to stay here because you got nowhere to go. News of the land of 15,000 princes. Our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. Hot town, summer in the city. The back of my neck getting dirty and gritty. I've been down, isn't it a pity? There doesn't seem to be a shadow in the city. Well, all around people looking off dead. Walking on the sidewalk hotter than a match. Hell. a different world Go out boys and girls Come on, come on and dance all night Despite the heat 
This is Le Show, and now some stories are almost as disturbing as this music is. This time we're driving crazy moths, birds, and mites. Mites! But first, the moths. A team of researchers from the Max Planck Institute for Chemical Ecology in Germany and the University of Virginia has studied the impact of high ozone air pollution on the chemical communication between flowers and pollinators. They showed that tobacco hawk moths lost attraction to the scent of their preferred flowers when that scent had been altered by ozone. That pollutant disturbs the interaction between a plant and its pollinator. That relationship evolved over millions of years, much like my marriage. No, come on now. 
uh, when given the chance, hot moths quickly learn that an un- unpleasantly polluted scent may lead to nutritious nectar. The moths can learn to ignore the noxiousness of the uh, fragrance that the plant is emitting when it has been exposed to ozone and still um, get their uh, get their eats. But they're not sure that uh, other insects can uh, similarly learn new behavior when the uh, fragrance go- makes them go, Bleh. The team determined the exact compositions of the flower odors with and without increased ozone content. And uh, then they duplicated that situation with and without. We were surprised, even shocked, that the intimate, innate attraction to the odor of tobacco flowers was completely lost in the presence of increased ozone levels. But the, uh, as I say, the moths figured it out. So um, hats off to the very stable geniuses, the tobacco hawk, hawk moths. Now, new findings published this week suggest that improvements and more widespread use of drone technologies affecting well-known wintering water birds, scaring them away from their normal migration grounds. Well, that can't, that can't be too... The term water bird refers to a group of extremely diverse aquatic birds, your ducks, your geese, your swans, your herons. Flocks choose various locations to hunker down for the winter, but the study published this week in the journal Bird Study, (laughs) a little obvious, but okay. Uh, In that study, the researchers in Scotland chose to investigate the flocks that traveled down to Britain from the Arctic. Drone technology, as you know, has been on the rise in recent years, now used for delivery surveillance. Thank you. Environmental studies, recreation, and more. One impressive bit of drone technology is a flapping wing drone that can mimic the complex flight patterns of the swift and has the potential to perform indoor pollination of vertical plants. So we don't need the hawk moth. Although this design comes close to replicating the movements of the bird, the developers noted they're unsure how birds will react to such a device. Smaller birds tend to avoid the flying tech. Larger birds and flocks have been known to attack them. Now, as this technology comes closer to and invades wildlife habitats, it poses a threat to native species. In the same way animals tend to abandon their homes following too much human intervention, the authors warned that birds may leave their well-known wintering grounds if they become spooked by drones flying nearby. Or if they become droned by spooks flying. For example, if a drone flies too close to a nest, it can scare off the adult birds, leaving the eggs or fledglings behind, or the adult bird might attack the drone to protect the nest and become injured by the craft. The blades. The blades. Not the blades again. Furthermore, if a flock is trying to feed, it must fly away or relocate due to drone disruption. It leaves them less time to feed, resulting in more energy being used to evade the device. This could impact every aspect of the water bird's delicately balanced lives, including protection from predators, breeding opportunities, <laughs> and migration patterns. This would negatively affect birds during the winter when they travel to feed before mating season, and more so to endangered, protected species. We, we said you were protected, but we didn't tell you about the drones. Mite extinctions are occurring at least a thousand times the natural rate, Finding a University of Queensland researcher says it is another warning that global biodiversity is in deep trouble. The one and a quarter million species of mites around the planet occupy an enormous variety of terrestrial and freshwater ecosystems. 
from the equator to polar regions and high-altitude areas. Now, in the first global study on mite biodiversity, University of Queensland in Australia, Dr. Greg Sullivan and colleague Dr. Sebahat Osman Sullivan compiled data that showed the ongoing extinction of an alarming number of species of mites. Why should we care? Mites are critical to ecosystems all over the planet. Some provide essential ecosystem services, such as the incorporation of organic matter into the soil, Dr. Sullivan said. These services underpin the survival of innumerable species and act as a proxy for environmental health. However, he adds, the, the humble mite is in trouble. I think you got to kick some pride into that mite. As the majority of mite species are assumed to be in the tropical rainforests, where 50% have been destroyed or severely dying, downgraded. Based on estimates of overall biodiversity loss, around 15% of mite species were likely have already become extinct by 2000. Losses are expected to increase up to 6% by 2060, Dr. Sullivan adds. Researchers said humans are responsible for the erosions. Oh, yeah, it's us again, like we're so important. Quote, habitat destruction and degradation to continu- continue on an enormous scale with increasing global population and resource consumption, the overarching drivers of extinction. Well, at least we're driving the means we we urgently need to minimize the rate of destruction and degradation of habitat, especially in subtropical and tropical regions. The mighty might, mighty no more. Because of dominion. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I hate to be the bearer of silly tidings, but uh, in case you missed it, (laughs) President Trump was on the campaign trail this week. He'll do anything to see a crowd. And uh, this is what he did in North Carolina. On your uh, ballots, if you get the unsolicited ballots, send it in and then go make sure it counted. And if it doesn't tabulate, you vote. You just vote. And then if they tabulated very late, which they shouldn't be doing, they'll see you voted and so it won't count. So send it in early and then go and vote. And if it's not tabulated, you vote. And the vote is going to count. You can't let them take your vote away. These people are playing dirty politics. Dirty politics. So if you have an absentee ballot, or as I call it, a solicited ballot, you send it in. But I would check it in any event. I would go and follow it and go vote. And everybody here wants to vote. We vote. The White House followed, kind of walking back the, uh, the recommendation in that quote. Possibly because they, uh, in the meantime, the North Carolina Attorney General had said, voting twice is a felony, and so is soliciting somebody to vote twice. On the other hand, I followed that up with this. For the sake of your country 
vote two times. Vote once on the ballot that you get in the mail, even though we know it's so certain to fail. Then ignore the COVID and go down to the polls. Vote one more time. That's how democracy rolls. Doing is worth doing twice. You'll put all that cheating and rigging on ice. Just vote two times to tell the world that you're free. Vote two times for me. Yeah, vote two times for me. Sleepy Joe, you're some kind of dunce, so you're fine voting once. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. We got a boatload. We're so sorry. Dateline New Orleans, New Orleans City Councilwoman Cindy Nguyen apologized last week for comments she said were taken out of context. A story published in the uh, Times-Picayune Advocate newspaper with more names than ever. The comments in question were published in a newspaper article reflecting on the Lower Ninth Ward's recovery in the 15 years since the flooding of New Orleans. Nguyen was responding to a question about how many businesses can the neighborhood support since its population declined after the flood. I'll be candid, having Walmart come to the neighborhood, it ain't going to happen. The concept of even like a raising canes, I don't think it's going to happen. This is just a reality, okay, and this is not putting anybody down. I think people in the lower nine like those greasy fried chicken places. I don't like to have conversations just to sugarcoat people and say, yeah, we can get a raising canes when you know very well that people here like those the fried chicken. You can't ask people to start up a business and not be able to make any money, unquote. The newspaper reports the state representative, whose district includes part of Nguyen's city council district wrote an open letter saying he was shocked, appalled, and insulted by Nguyen's comments. 
One day after the comments were published, Nguyen apologized in a Facebook Live update saying that the comments came off as insensitive and were taken out of context. Newspaper report that reports that Nguyen wrote to neighbors saying she was trying to describe the Lower Ninth as a food desert with a lack of access to healthy food alternatives due to the saturation of convenience stores and gas stations with unhealthy food options. Eat the regular. Don't eat the uh, unleaded. I recognize the pain and my deepest apology, but please don't judge me on words that were used out of context. That is not the intent. The whole conversation was about, about what the Lower Nine used to have, what we have now, and how we bring other options to the area, unquote. And maybe to the table. Facing backlash from angry first- and second-year students who recently learned they can't study at Northwestern University's campus this fall, school president Morton Shapiro repeatedly apologized during an online presentation this week, tried to provide more details about how the last-minute decision was made. He said he was absolutely convinced that NU could reopen its residence halls to all students, but began to worry late last week as COVID cases rose in suburban Cook County and the school readjusted its capacity to quarantine students on campus based on estimates from the state. A lot of authorities, including Dr. Fauci, have said when students get COVID, don't send them home. They'll just infect the family. Quote, I apologize for people who are so angry, and I understand that anger is apparent, and as an educator, Shapiro said, in retrospect, I probably should have decided earlier in the week. Unquote. The online event came after NU delivered the unpopular news to undergrad inboxes late Friday afternoon, explaining that only third- and fourth-year students would be permitted to return, take in-person classes, and live in residence halls. That decision was communicated just nine days before move-in was scheduled to start. Better never than late, I guess. Ubisoft has officially apologized for some Black Lives Matter imagery used in promotion and gameplay. This, I guess, involves video games. Primarily, this imagery focuses on a raised fist used by the game's antagonist organization, which is also used by the Black Lives Matter movement. The raised fist imagery will be removed in a title update for Android and as soon as possible on iOS. Raised fist imagery has been used for the civil rights movement since at least the 68 Olympics. Imagery appeared in the opening video sequence of Tom Clancy's Elite Squad featuring a raised fist was insensitive and harmful in both its inclusion and how it was portrayed. It's an official statement. We've listened to and appreciate the players in the broader community who have pointed out. We apologize. Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler says he's looking for a new place to live after his Pearl District condo building has been the site of repeated demonstrations, including this week when crowds demanded he resign and some people set fires and broke windows. In an email from Wheeler to other residents of the condo tower, 16-floor high-rise, the mayor said it would be best for me and everyone else's safety and peace that he finds a new home. He assured police, she assured people that police are taking their safety concerns seriously. I want to express my sincere apologies for the damage to our home and the fear you're experiencing due to my position. He said, it's unfair to all of you who have no role in politics or in my administration. Protests calling for policing and social justice reforms have been taking place, as you know, in Portland since late May. Demonstrators gathered outside Wheeler's condo building sporadically since June, at least twice when he was not there. On Monday, his 58th birthday, summoned a group of more than 200, graffitied and damaged the building and sidewalk and threw a burning bundle of newspapers into the retail space in the building. You can't do that with Facebook news links. You can't throw burning news links. 
Blaze Radio at Arizona State University announced this week its board of directors voted to remove Ray Lee Klein, the radio station manager, from her position after she tweeted on Saturday about Jacob Blake. He was shot by a police officer and paral- uh, seven times in the back, one should say, and paralyzed in Kenosha. Student-run radio station is operated by Arizona State's Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication. The unanimous vote to remove Klein from the station came after backlash on social media from Cronkite students and others. Cronkite leadership is working with Blaze Radio students to try to resolve the situation. Here's what happened on Saturday. Klein tweeted a link to a New York Post article. Well, there's your first mistake right there. And wrote, Always more to the story, folks. Please read this article to get the background of Jacob Blake's warrant. You'll be quite disgusted. Unquote. The article included graphic details from the police report for a sexual assault Blake is accused of committing earlier this year. A Kenosha Police Association attorney has said responding officers were aware Blake had a warrant out for his arrest for a charge he's facing a felony third-degree sexual assault. Numerous Cronkite students replied to Klein, many saying it seemed she was trying to justify police shooting Blake. Klein later deleted the tweet. Nicole Shin, vice president of the National Association of Black Journalists at the university, and a junior at Cronkite, says she was angry when she saw Klein's tweet, quote, quoting the New York Post as a reputable source, just kind of meant she was throwing out all of the education that we've gotten, throwing it out the window. It's kind of obvious she just wanted to make a negative statement. To me, it seemed like she didn't care, unquote. Much like that uh, jacket Melania wore. Klein posted an apology on her Twitter feed, saying her tweets were not associated with the radio station, the Cronkite School, or ASU. The incident is tragic every sense of the word. It was not my intent to make an excuse for what happened. The point of my tweet was to provide an additional perspective. I apologize to anyone who I may have offended, by which she meant whom I may have offended, but it's just a J school. No, it's just a radio station. Dateline Darby Township Pennsylvania. Darby Township Commissioner is apologizing for sharing a meme on Facebook showing two men holding guns to a police officer saying, does it have to come to this to make them stop murdering and terrorizing us? Unquote. Darby Township Commissioner Marvin Smith did not want to talk to a local TV station about his decision to share that post. The district attorney and county council sent a lengthy statement condemning Smith's shared post, said it not only threatens law enforcement, but creates a divide in the community. Fraternal Order of Police said they're calling on Smith to resign immediately. The township's website has Smith's responsibilities listed as police. He met with uh, Darby Township chief and officers a month ago to express his support. Smith posted an apology that said, in part, I not only support good policing of our communities, I welcome it and will continue to be a zealous ally of our friends in blue. I regret and wholeheartedly apologize if... If my sharing of that meme exacerbated any of the pain that individuals may, may be feeling. And that apology you can take to the bank of the river. Dateline Greenville, South Carolina, in an emotional videotaped confession posted online, relentless church pastor John Gray apologized and addressed rumors that spread through entertainment blogs. Allegations of an extramarital relationship. Hey, that's a, that's, that's a, that's a happening thing in... Uh, the religious community these, these days, it seems, that those allegations first spread on social media and entertainment news websites late last month when a woman who claimed to have been communicating with Gray was featured on a live video stream on YouTube. 
Last week, Gray's attorneys told the Greenville News in South Carolina, Gray was the victim of extortion and blackmail. On Sunday last, Gray told his congregation he's undergoing extensive counseling and seeking guidance of other pastors for health. There are people who may never listen to me preach again, and I'm so very sad about that, Gray said, on the relentless church stage. <laughs> I also believe this stage. Where, where's makeup? Where's wardrobe? I also believe this moment will call more people to repentance unto salvation, and that my pain will have been worth it. While Gray did not say specifically whether there was an extramarital relationship, he said pastors are held to the highest of standards, need to maintain their character when no one is looking, and have fidelity and faithfulness in marriage. He said not staying accountable caused him to make, quote, bad decisions. He said he's not sure how long in his therapy process will take, and he told his congregation, they may not see him for some weeks. I'm going deeper into the process so that I once and for all can receive the same freedom I pray for everybody else, he said. He also took the opportunity to apologize to his wife and then to the church. He says to his wife, I'm sorry for the pain I've caused you, and my prayer is that the life I live from this moment will be one worthy of the love that you extended that our family receives from. I am grateful for you and our children. To my church, I am sorry you've gone through enough from cars to meetings with leaders that have caused great pain and deep division among political ideologies to one thing after another. I want to tell you I'm sorry. And for the run-on sentences, too. No, he didn't, didn't say anything about the sentences. Relentless church, though. They ain't going to stop. Oklahoma women's basketball coach Sherry Cole apologized after some former players, some former black players... Well, there's some former players who are black still, probably, wrote on social media over the weekend that they felt there was an atmosphere of racial insensitivity in her program. One former Sooners player, Joya Carter, I wish I knew what it felt like to have a head coach at OU like this, referring to the Oklahoma football coach. But instead, my four years there was filled with comments like, quote, you guys act like it happened to you. If y'all's long braids hits one of my players in the face, as if the people in braids weren't her players, unquote. At least eight other former Sooners have since posted messages for support on social media. To hear the concerns raised by my former student-athletes is disheartening because it is clear I've unknowingly caused harm to people I care deeply about, said Cole, who is white. Over my career, I've taken pride in the work that I've done on the court and the commitment to the personal growth of the women I've been responsible for leading. While I've always had the intent of expressing care for others, it's clear that there have been moments where my intent has not been the same as my impact. For that, I sincerely apologize. Time now for this week's Facebook apology. Yes, seems there's one every week, and there is. In a video to employees this week that was later made public, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, him of the thousand yard stare, apologized for the platform's failure to move fast enough to remove the page of the right-wing militia group that appears, according to a media post, to have incited the shooting deaths of two protesters in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Facebook didn't remove the page of the so-called Kenosha Guard until last Wednesday after a gunman who described himself as part of militia efforts killed two people during a Tuesday night protest over the shooting of Jacob Blake by Kenosha police. At least two Facebook users had reported the group and their page to Facebook, but moderators found them not to be in violation of the platform's policies, according to The Verge. 
whose report apparently spurned Facebook, spurred Facebook to take action. Zuckerberg posted his video after a BuzzFeed report that Facebook employees criticized the CEO about the episode during a company-wide meeting. In it, his video, Zuckerberg said Facebook's slow removal of the militia page, which issued a call to arms in advance of the protest, was, quote, largely an operational mistake. The contractors and reviewers who the initial complaints were funneled to basically didn't pick this up. On second review, doing it more sensitively, the team that's responsible for dangerous organizations recognized that this violated the policy, and we took it down. He also said Facebook is now actively looking for and removing posts that praise the alleged gunmen, although such posts were reportedly still on the platform as of Thursday of this week. Responding to questions from BuzzFeed News, Facebook said it had incorrectly claimed it had removed the event page. We believed we'd removed the event page for violating our policy, said a Facebook spokesperson, Liz Bourgeois. Our investigation found that while we did remove the Kenosha Guard page, that was the name of the militia, the event was removed by the organizer. We apologize for the error. This week's Facebook apology, ladies and gentlemen. But don't worry, there'll be more. Dateline New York, an investigation is now underway after a fire truck on Long Island was photographed with a Confederate flag displayed. Oh, he was just lost. Facebook user posted a picture of the Brookhaven Fire Department truck. On Sunday night, last, the Brookhaven Fire Department released a statement saying one firefighter is responsible. The flag was not authorized by the department's leadership. The unauthorized action is condemned in the strongest of terms. And they apologized. Dateline Rochester, New York, the mayor, issued a public apology this week. Seven police officers were suspended in relation to an incident in March, way back in March, in which a black man from Chicago died after officers restrained him and placed him in a spit hood. Sounds like where I grew up. No, just kidding. It's a hood that keeps a uh, detained person from spitting at police, you know, the COVID thing. 41-year-old Daniel Prude died March 30th after he was taken off life support seven days after the encounter with police in Rochester, New York. Mayor Lovely Warren said at a news conference the officers involved in the response were suspended with pay against the vice of counsel. They'd stopped him. He was nude at the time after 3 a.m. on March 23rd. According to the family, the father of five adult children was experiencing a mental health crisis. This is why you don't have police respond to a mental health crisis. Officers cuffed him, placed him on the wet street face down, put a spit hood on him, and pushed his head into the asphalt and placed a knee on his back. He told police he suffered from COVID-19. That's why they put the hood on. He died because he needed help, said the family attorney. Body camera video released this week by the family sparked protests in Rochester and a lawsuit in Chicago. And... An employee working at a Starbucks inside a Target store in Indianapolis has been fired after posting a video on TikTok showing how to make a Blue Lives Matter drink made of bleach and a little blood of innocent black men. A Target spokesperson apologized for the disturbing video. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's uh, that's going to do it. That really is just it. Enough is enough, you know. So that's it for this week's show. The program returns next week at the same time on these radio stations and whenever you want it on your audio device of choice. And it would be just like it cools off after Labor Day. For you to agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh huh. Tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego desk. And thanks to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address for this thing, where you can find the playlist of the music, your opportunity to get Cars I Talk t shirts, and the email address. <laughs> Is that how this started? Okay. Uh, all that at harryshearer.com. And me, oh yeah, thank you for asking, on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from in here.